Let's look to the Lord one more time as we get ready to look into this word. Father, I thank you again for a, a written revelation from you. Uh, one that can guide us, one that, as your scripture tells us, forever is settled in heaven. Father, it is a constant. It is something that we can cling to and rely on uh, when so many things in our world are relative and changing and up to the whims of people. Father, help us to cling to the unchanging word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. During this time, we've been talking about uh, the posture that we can take or that we have as we go through these uncertain or difficult or uh, sometimes just weird situations that we find ourselves. Um, sometimes we've called it the Corona Challenge. Uh, during this time, people sometimes find their faith taking a dive. Others find it just try to survive. The goal really here is to thrive, to be able to find our faith growing at a time where it may not be easy to see that happening. So we've looked at many things to put into our to-do list, things to add on to it that we could keep, a, keep a doing and pursuing and keep reminding ourselves on uh, about so that we don't find ourselves drifting away and finding this a time where our faith actually does dive. So you can see the list that you have in your notes and you can keep going back there in your mind to see uh, that we're staying on track. And last week we talked about uh, showing love by encouraging yourself in the Lord. And we looked at David was probably at the lowest point of his life uh, where he and his men wept until they had no more tears to weep. Uh, and in that time, David had to reach out for something greater than himself. And he had to be able to own his own soul, his own relationship with the Lord. And he had to go back to the source of strength, realizing he's not going to find it inside. He's not going to pull down deep and get his bootstraps and pull them up and somehow be able to make it through. He had to go back to the Lord. And in doing that, he knew that God was with him. But as importantly, God was for him that God was on his side. So David could strengthen himself in the Lord no matter what circumstances were like. They didn't dictate his faith. Uh, he was able to rise above them. And we looked at Job, uh, where Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And Job could only say that because he knew God was a good God, even if he didn't feel, know, or understand the kind of things that God was doing. Uh, and the big encouragement of all of that is to know that every morning when you wake up, God is on your side. He is pulling for you. Uh, he is giving you his undivided attention. And that's the kind of encouragement that we can draw from the Lord. Today, to-do list number nine, uh, show love by cultivating stillness of heart before God. Um, you may have find, find yourself in these days full of anxiety or worry, or just a general feeling like, I don't have control of anything. Things are spiraling, and I'm not, I'm not leading, I'm following, and I'm getting beat up by circumstances. Oh, just different things where our heart is just not quiet. It's just not still before the Lord. And we don't feel like there's a peace that's inside. So we wanna look at uh, cultivating that stillness, because this is like a universal problem. And sometimes we look at people in the Bible and think, 
uh, that somehow they were different than us, that somehow they had a leg up. Uh, but often they suffered through the same in, inner turmoils that we have. And when you think of a man like Job, it's easy to think, well, Job, he was, he was the most patient man and he, he had all of these things and perspectives the whole time. Well, that's not really true for Job. Job had to go through growth just like we do. And we can read of Job in chapter 3, uh, in verses 24 through 26. I sigh when food is put before me. He couldn't even eat. He was so upset. And my groans pour out like water. For the thing I feared has overtaken me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax or be still. I have no rest, for trouble comes. Uh, Job had some anxiety issues. He had some things that were going on that were causing him inner turmoil. And he's looking kind of at the future, and he had a lot of good things around him. And when everything was taken away, he kind of let, let a little um, light into his soul. And he said, you know, this thing I was afraid of, it happened. What I worried the most about came to pass. The things I love dearly are now gone. The things that I cherish that help hold me up, Job didn't have them. So he was a guy like us who struggled with stillness. I said, I can't relax. I just can't get this. Now you've you got to take Job's whole book into account. And if you look at the last chapters of Job, you're going to find that God gives the tonic or what Job needs in those times where he just can't seem uh, to, to relax or be still. And the answer for Job was not the answer to a question as much as it was God just saying, take a look at me. See how big I am? See what I am like. Can you do this, Job? Can you do that? Can you do that? And Job kind of had his private lessons on what it takes to be still before God. Today, I want to look at um, Daniel chapter 6. And if you're familiar with the book, it's Daniel in the lion's den. If there was never ever a guy who needed to know what it meant to be still before the Lord and have confidence in him, I would say it would be Daniel. Uh, this whole topic of inner turmoil and not being still uh, is really a universal issue. Um, some of you have heard of Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, and it's easy to think of guys like him having it all together and being confident no matter what took, takes place. Uh, but he was talking about having a season in his life, and, and it was quite a few seasons, where his heart was not still before the Lord. And he said, I was lying upon my couch during this last week, and my spirits were sunken so low that I could, uh, I could weep by the hour like a child, yet I knew not what I wept for. But a very slight thing will move me to tears just now. And a kind friend was telling me of some poor old soul living near who was suffering very great pain and yet was full of joy and rejoicing. I was so distressed by hearing that story and felt so ashamed of myself that I did not know what to do, wondering why I should be in such a state as this. While this poor woman who had a terrible cancer and was in the most frightful agony could nevertheless rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We all get to those times. I'm weeping and I don't even know why. I find myself close to tears. Uh, and we can look at others and say, you know, but that's not true. Some people have a stability or a heart still before the Lord. So that's what we want to pursue today. Uh, Psalm 46 verse 10 says, 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Those words, be still, means deceased. Stop your striving. Stop your fighting. Because usually when things go out of control, those of us, especially if we're type A personalities, we just get into gear. I'm going to do something. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to make it better. And it just doesn't happen that way, especially in the spiritual realm. So desist. Stop what you're doing to try to fix the situation, trying to understand the situation, trying to make the situation better. Stop it. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that idea of exaltation it is a huge idea when it comes into stillness because when something is exalted, it rises above everything else. And that's the comfort God's giving is when, when you need to know that, that you can be still and, and be confident in me, just realize that when it comes down to it, I am exalted above all. Any situation, anything that happens in this world, any power, any difficulty, I will be exalted above it. I will rise beyond it. Uh, stillness that happens um, in our life. I'm talking about the peace be still kind of stillness, where Jesus, in his miraculous presence and power, calms the sea and gives our heart a place of stillness. Now we're going to have to do this over two weeks because we're going to look at stillness today from the life of Daniel that hinges upon my own personal practice. The things that I can do to put myself in a place where God can bless me and I can be still before him. And then next week we're going to look at the perspectives that we have, what God is doing so that I can be still. So today is more of a perspective, things that I can put into place that arrange my own life uh, in order to see stillness. So Daniel 6 starts this way. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, and we'll talk about them, they're not mousetraps, uh, to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might uh, suffer no loss. Now these satraps, if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of like area governors. They're people, as the, the area was div divided up into different geographic and political areas. These satraps were in charge. Daniel was one of three people over top of them. And that's how the kingdom uh, was administrative and how it was taking place. And Dan Daniel, we're going to see, has several practices that he has in place that are part of his life that happen all the time for him uh, that put him or give him a foundation, you can put in your notes, a foundation for stillness in a time of desperation and uncertainty. Now remember, Daniel just wasn't a homegrown tomato. Uh, he didn't grow up there. He was a, a brought in as a slave in bondage. And he by nature of who he was and how he behaved, he was elevated within the kingdom. So the first thing we're going to see about Daniel is his posture. And you can write that in your notes. Then this Daniel distinguished, became distinguished above all the other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him 
and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So the first thing about Daniel that gives him his foundation to, to be able to have a stillness before the Lord is his posture, this excellent spirit that was within him. Uh, those of you who have hired employees ever, or you work closely with other people, uh, would you be able to say that finding an excellent spirit in somebody is, is easy? Um, it's something. To find somebody who's not a complainer, Find somebody who's not whining, who's not gossiping, who's not stealing from the company, who's not lording their authority over somebody else. Um, I know back when I worked in industry, uh, one of my bosses says, when it comes to hire somebody, you hire them on their EQ, not their IQ. And the EQ was their emotional quotient, not their intelligence. Uh, and that these people that could get along with others, those that when people were with them weren't fighting with them all the time, or they weren't overly um, angry, angered easily, they were patient, they were kind. And this is the kind of person that Daniel was. He was somebody that as he was being looked at, by those around him and those that he worked with, his posture was of an excellent spirit. So that makes us take a little step back. Am I like Daniel? Do I have an excellent spirit? Or am I hard to get along with? Or am I this or am I that? And, and you can look at all those areas, but that just kind of begins the tip of the iceberg in Daniel's life. The kind of person he was, he was a person who was of an excellent spirit. The second thing about him, he was a person of Purity, purity. Verse 4 says, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or, or fault was found in him. Now, I find that a little convicting and pretty astounding. Because I have a feeling if you were to follow myself throughout the day, throughout the week, you would find fault. You would find things that you say, you know, Dan, you should probably do that differently. You should probably said that differently. You should probably do something here. And I dare say it would probably be true for most of you. That if I were to follow you around, I would not be able to say at the end of the week, I find no fault. I find nothing that you, I think you could, you're just perfect. You got it together. I think we'd find ourselves on the short end. But, but the goal here is for Daniel, he's a person, his posture was an excellent spirit. His personal life was of purity. So I kind of look at it this way. He wasn't at war with the people around him. And because of his obedience, he wasn't at war with God. If I'm in either of those two cases, I'm at war with people or I'm at war with God because I'm not obeying his commands, I will not have stillness. I will not have peace inside. So the very first steps, and you can look at the life of Daniel, is what is my spirit like when it comes to those around me? Do I have unmended um, friction or battles or, or strife with other people? Uh, am I a person who just seems to create problems instead of solving that? If I'm at war with others, stillness won't be in my heart. If I'm at war with God, stillness will not be part of my heart. So it goes on to say, as they were looking at Daniel, they can't find any problem in his spirit. They can't find any problem in his, his personal life as far as the kingdom. So in verses 5 through 9, we read this. Then these men said... 
we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Daniel's been set up. The trap is out there. Everything is in place for him to have an anxious heart, a heart full of anxiety. The one thing, his purity, his, his relationship with the Lord now has been outlawed. You can no longer do this. So Daniel could find himself in a very difficult, difficult situation, one where his faith could dive, where it could tank. But we read in verse 10, and this is the next item of a still heart, is a heart of prayer, a heart of prayer. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, not, and that's not too bad for a busy man, and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. And there's a couple key things that we have to look at here. It said Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So the test is out there. Uh, when your heart is still before the Lord, you will usually make the safest and best choice possible. And in this case, the safest choice was to obey God. Now, if you have a heart that's not still and full of fear, the safest choice would be follow the king. Do what everyone else is doing. Don't pray to the Lord. But Daniel was a person where stillness of heart, I believe, was how he lived his life what took place in him all the time. So his fears were calm, and a still heart makes good choices. And I just wonder if Daniel's church had, had put out their bulletin that week and said, after this document had been signed, oh, by the way, there'll be a prayer meeting at church this week, whoever wants to come. I wonder how well attended that would be. Uh, it's hard enough to get attendance at regular prayer meetings than it is a time where it's been outlawed and you know you're going to be thrown into a den of lions if you happen to go. Uh, but Daniel knew that this was happening. And what the verse also goes on to say is that he had his windows of his house open towards Jerusalem. Uh, stillness is enhanced by how I arrange my life. And it's kind of interesting when you think about Daniel. He was ready to be second in command of the whole kingdom. He could have lived or built any kind of house that he wanted and he, anywhere he wanted. It's kind of like the emperor's new groove. You know, he could have gone out and got his little coop. Uh, What's it? Tutopia. I can't even say that right. Kutopia. Cuscotopia. You know, he could have had his little kingdom on the top of the hill where, the, where it sang and it had all this beautiful stuff. But when Daniel arranged his life, 
he either built or purchased a home that had a dedicated prayer place facing Jerusalem. And it's kind of interesting because uh, it's not like he could have seen Jerusalem. We're talking hundreds of miles away. Uh, it's not as if Jerusalem was a thriving place. It had been pillaged and destroyed. But there was a belief and a hope that he prayed toward Jerusalem knowing that God was not dead, that God was alive and that he would restore his people. So as he would pray, he, he had his, his world arranged so that he would be able to um, pray every day with these windows that were facing Jerusalem. He kind of arranged his world so that he could pray before the Lord. Uh, Daniel lived, could have lived and had anything he wanted, but in the home that he chose, he made sure that there were windows that were facing Jerusalem and the hope that he had. Uh, and then it says, he, as he had done previously. So he goes in to pray in a, in a place that's set up. He's got a routine where praying to the Lord is something normal, something that he does all the time. And he had done this previously, and I think that the principle you see here, this stillness is sustained by persistent prayer, by persistent prayer. See, one of the hard parts about being still before the Lord, we usually wait till we're not still before we try to go get it. It's like my heart's a mess right now. So I'm going to have an event where I'm just going to take an hour and I'm going to go into a room and be still before the Lord and let him fix everything that's broken. And then I'll come out and I'll be all okay again. And then we go and we go through the, the, the um, treadmill of life and things happen and we get all hectic and we find we've lost our stillness. We're like, okay, I need to go back into that room for another hour. Uh, and it might be three weeks later. I got to get still before the Lord. It's not as if stillness is a lifestyle. It's something that I get with the Lord. I carry it with me. But I'm also going back to the Lord again and getting still over and over. And Daniel, he was a pretty, pretty, pretty busy guy. And I hear people say, and I say it myself, you know, I'm just so busy. I'm really finding a hard time to pray. I really just can't, I got this to do and that to do. Um, Daniel's almost second in command of a whole kingdom. And, and how many times a day does he stop and pray? Three times. So whatever he was doing, he'd have to stop it, leave, go into his specific arranged area and pray to the Lord. If there was ever a man who could have said, I'm too busy to pray, I just can't do it, it would have been him. But I think his stillness of heart came about because of a lifestyle. That he was before the Lord often enough so that when he went out into the rest of life, he could carry that stillness with him as he traveled. Um, at this point, the conspirators in Daniel 6 draw the net. They close it in on him. They find out uh, that he has been praying to the Lord. And we read these words. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Now, it's kind of interesting as you read some commentaries about this stone that was put over the lion's den. Uh, it sounds like it wasn't normal. It's like they brought it in for this occasion. Uh, and, and a lot of people say, wonder why. Why the stone? If this pit is so deep that the lions can't get out, why do you need to put a stone over it? And, and it was interesting. A lot of the commentators thought that, that, that this king 
kind of believed that Daniel's God really was strong and powerful. So he put the stone not to keep Daniel in, but to keep other people from coming in and killing Daniel. Almost as if the stone was to protect him from anything else, but the, so that, that, this, that God could deliver him, and I'm going to make sure no one else comes and kills Daniel, because I really regret what I did, with, that I've done this to him. Uh, who knows? Uh, but for some reason, the stone was brought in to cover it, and it was sealed so that um, nobody was able to change what was taking place. Uh, Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And this is the place where I, I wish more was said in the Bible. I'd love to hear the drama of all that happened. You don't get thrown into a lion's pit every day. You don't experience that. I've never known anybody. So I can't picture what it would be like. But I'd like to take a step back when I read these kind of passages and, and get beyond my childhood story that, oh, Daniel in the lion's den, and say, what my sanctified imagination was really taking place here. Uh, what would it have been like to have to experience and go through what Daniel was going through? So the first area is the man and the pit itself. Uh, a lot of scholars think this was 18 feet deep, okay? 18 feet into the ground. Therefore, the lions, full-grown lions, couldn't get out. Uh, I always thought of Daniel as... Maybe in his 20s, 30, you know, he's one of these strong guys that was brought in in the captivity. Most commentators think he was 80 years old. That paints a little bit of a different picture to me of Daniel in the lion's den. So you get an 80-year-old guy being thrown into an 18-foot deep pit with a stone over it so it was so dark you could not see anything. Now, I know that would freak me out not knowing other than that there are lions in the pit 18 feet deep and what kind of critters come out of the soil in a, in a pit like that that's 18 feet deep and sometimes the groundwater could come up and it could be muddy filled of worms and bugs and all this kind of stuff besides the lions so i think about all of that and realize that he just didn't get thrown into the pit and he survived 60 seconds and then they took him out I'm talking all night long in the worm-infested, critter-infested, darkness of the pit, completely alone, cut off from everybody else at 80 years old. Uh, that could be cause for lack of stillness of heart. Uh, but when you think about it even a step further, the, the lions, there wasn't just one lion in the pit, there was a whole group of them. In fact, there were so many that when the adversaries that had ganged up on Daniel were thrown in later when Daniel was delivered, it says that they were kind of eaten up, broken up before they even hit the bottom of the pit. So you're talking about lions in multiple many, many lions that are there. So I begin to think about that and say, you know what? I don't think that these lions were house trained. I think this pit was full of lots of stuff. And I know some of the animals, and we had a bear visit our dumpster, and he left us a little present, and I looked at the size of the present. Well, that's not from one of our dogs. Um, I'm sure a lion would even be worse. So you have all the stuff of the pit, you've got all of the stuff from the lions, and I have a feeling the lions smell like some of our dogs do. And you think, oh my goodness, this is horrible. So you've got a stench probably inside the pit that is nauseating to the point of even wanting to throw up because it would have been so bad and so horrible. 
and you are going to spend all night in there. And then I think about the angel. Said, Daniel said, an angel came and delivered me. I would have loved to have been there to see how the angel did that. You know, what would an angel do? Could he have just simply just pointed and the lion stopped? Did he command? Did he demand? I, I, I like to make it think that there was a little bit of fun going on here. And uh, I know when, when our children were growing up, you could discipline them all differently. And if you've had multiple children, you might say, yeah, some of children, you know, they really don't listen. Others, you could just look at them and they would, oh, I'm in trouble. That's all it took was the look. And I like to think, man, could that have been true here? You know, the, the lions and the angel just gave them the look. That was our Amanda. I would do that. Just look at Amanda. And she'd just break down and like, I can't do And she'd be, right, works on Mimsy too. You just give them the look. I'd love to think the power of God in that pit. The angel just looked. The lion's coward. Because of the power of God. I don't know how it happened. But I just like to think that the power of God, it wasn't like a battle. It wasn't like the lions even had a chance. God was interacting and interceding on Daniel's behalf in a wonderful, mighty kind of way. And I think if you were in the lion's pit that I kind of just described, what would you do to pass the time for the evening? What would you do inside of that pit? Uh, You'd be sitting there the whole time and, and think about these lions. It doesn't say that they weren't able to come up to Daniel, that they couldn't come near him. Maybe he even felt their hot breath on him all night long. Who knows how bad it was? Sometimes I like to think it was kind of like the, maybe the kingdom someday where he just took a lion and kind of used it for a pillow and just put his head down like the, the Bible says, the lion and the lamb will lay down together. Maybe he played with them. Maybe he just sat there praying real, real hard all the whole time. The point is, I think Daniel, in the midst of a horrendous situation that took, lasted all night long was still and quiet. He knew what he was getting into. He knew that if he prayed as he had done previously, that he would be thrown in. That didn't stop him. That didn't change his plan. He just went straight into the mouth of the lion, into the heart of adversity, knowing that God could deliver him. And that's what Daniel said, that he was, that no kind of harm was found on him. And we read, then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he trusted in his God. If Daniel wasn't a person of purity, he wasn't a person of excellent spirit. If he wasn't a person of prayer, I don't think he could have entered that situation the way that he did, with the confidence in God of where he was headed. And I think about times like this. I'm sure Daniel, in his times of prayer before the Lord, 
had a whole bucket full of stuff to pull from to help quiet his heart. Things that he could say, you know, as I pray to the Lord, I can think of this and I can think of that. I've seen God faithful here. I'd like to call it a stillness portfolio. A stillness portfolio. In other words, all the things that you can put into your bucket that help your heart be quiet before the Lord when you have those times with him where it's just you and him. What is it that you use uh, to be able to rehearse to yourself, to go back to over and over and over again so that God can be the focus of your heart? so that his person permeates all of your vision and all that you're thinking. So what I did this week is I sent um, an email out to several leaders in the church just with the simple question, what is it that quiets your heart? What do you do? And I, I've got some of them here I just want to read because the interesting thing is nobody said the same thing. They all said something different. And, and God's word is beautiful like that. Because there's things in God's word that he will take and use and minister to your heart. And the person next to you has a different thing. And, and they grab from that. So here are some of the things that some of the folks in church kind of have in their stillness portfolio. What quiets my heart? To be still and know he is God. It is not so much a single verse, but it is a look at who God is. I look at creation that he spoke it into being. I look at the vastness of the universe and what is beyond uh, what we can see with our naked eye or even with our furthest satellites. Then I look at the soil and think of the microorganisms that are doing exactly what God made them for. Or I look at God's amazing work, like how he saved the Israelites and freed them from bondage and how and why he did it. Or how Jesus, being humbly, uh, being God, humbly came to live among men. How Jesus felt the hurts, pains, temptations, but without sinning. How Jesus willingly was crucified so that he could be free, uh, we could be freed from the bondage of sin, so we could have life in him, so we could be in relationship with him. I think of all of these things and more, knowing that we didn't do anything. He did it all. We can rest. He is faithful. Another said, I like the image that this verse conjures up of a mother with a sleeping child. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Certain hymns calm my heart and lead me to worship. Another person said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Another person said, Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, and to give you a future and a hope. Another pointed to Psalm 23. I especially liked Psalm 23 for this. Practically speaking, however, I usually get there one of two ways. Firstly, when there is a positive answer to prayer, it causes my heart to turn to God with thanksgiving and praise. Secondly, when the things are extra hard, I remember Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. My natural response to that has become praying with thanksgiving, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Philippians 4.6-8. Another said, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, 
and he will make straight your paths. And another has said, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, ye of little faith? And the list could go on, and I made my own list of many verses. The point is God's word is full of things to help us be still, to be trusting in him. And I challenge you and ask you, how's your stillness portfolio? What is it that you have that you pull from to keep your heart confidently trusting in an almighty and all-powerful God and not let your eyes be taken away by circumstances of worry and anxiety and what if this happens and what if this happens? No, it's like come three times a day. Pull the portfolio out. Take a look at it. What is it that can help quiet your heart and keep you focused on a God who doesn't move, who doesn't change, who's eternally faithful, and has your best interests at heart. That's the challenge. Be still and know that he is God. Worry, anxiety, and fear are probably the most debilitating things in culture today because media feeds on it. Be afraid of this. Worry about this. You might get this. This could happen. It, 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 politics feeds on it. If this party gets in, America's doomed. No, if the other party gets in, America's doomed. I've got news for you. America's doomed no matter what happens. It says in the, King, it says in the Bible that things are going to go from bad to worse. And I don't care who you put in office, you're not going to stop the depravity of man and where this is all headed. Trust and being still before the Lord. And not having your heart torn out and, and put in a place of, of just anxiety, fear, discouragement because of what's going around. But to be able to say, you know what, Lord, you've given us a wonderful portfolio to pull from. And you are the focus of it. And as I focus on you and know that you're God is my lifestyle, I will be able to take that stillness wherever I happen to go. We're going to be... Um, preparing for uh, communion right now. And there's just a song that I want us to listen to. It's not your typical communion song, uh, but in part of Bob Barr's response to what calms my heart, this is a song that he shared with us. And I think it's a perfect setting for communion. And before we partake of it, I'm gonna come back and uh, I will read a couple verses of scripture. And if you haven't done these before, you just peel back, get the wafer out, peel it again, and there's the juice and you'll be able to dip it in. Uh, but just right now, as we prepare for communion, to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ until the day he comes back. We do this in remembrance of him. Let your heart be still before the Lord.